with me to John chapter 2, the Gospel of John and the second chapter. John chapter 2, um, and uh, we'll begin reading there in just a moment. Um, a couple of things that we've been talking about just to remind you of. We've been in an in-depth study of what the Bible says about our oneness with God and the fellowship that we have uh, available to us with Him. The new birth made us one with Jesus, and Jesus then turned around and made us one with the Father. We also see that He gave us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, um, Jesus said, once He comes to dwell in you through the new birth, that He would dwell in you forever. And that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth. Jesus called Him a helper. A helper. So we have a helper, capital H. Amen. The Holy Spirit is here to help us. And among all the things that He's here to help us with is He's here to teach us how to live as one with God. It's one thing to be made one with God the Father and with the Son and have the same fellowship with God the Father as Jesus the Son. It's another thing for us to learn what that means and learn how to walk that out and enjoy and experience that in our daily lives. And so it's a big subject. Amen. And as we came upon Christmas and then moved into the new year, the Holy Spirit began to speak to us about giving Jesus the place in our lives that He deserves. Giving Jesus the place in our lives that He deserves. And we said that among all the things that we could focus on this, this new year in 2019, and I'm sure there's lots of, of good and important things. I know that there's things in my life that, that, um, that I need to focus on and work on, and certainly am, am, am doing that. But somewhere at the top of the list, if not at the top of our list, should be learning how to give Jesus the place He deserves in our lives. And we said that if we would focus on that, so many of the other things, secondary things, that we want to see breakthroughs in in this new year, um, we'll, we'll experience those breakthroughs uh, by just simply giving Jesus the place in our lives that He deserves. Remember, things flow down from God the Father. And they flow down from the Father through Jesus to you and me. And if Jesus is not in the right place in our lives that He deserves and belongs in, then it shuts off that flow of things into our lives. And so we struggle with a lot of things. And so sometimes we make resolutions. Are you hearing me this morning? We make resolutions in our lives every new year to deal with things that we have struggled with for many years. Am I the only person that's ever had the same resolution on their list more than one year in a row? Even if you don't make a list, same thing every year that comes around. You think, well, man, this year I need to do better with this, or this year I need to do more of this, or this year I need to do less of that. And we were saying that six years ago. Amen. So why, why are we still struggling with things that we should have already put behind us? Well, I'm offering to you that perhaps it's because we haven't given Jesus the place in our lives that He deserves where that thing is concerned, and it's hindering His ability. We've backed this up with Scripture. It's hindering His ability to do in our lives what only He can do and change what only He can change. Amen. We can struggle in, in the, at the flesh level of our existence to change things, 
But the root, the Bible says, that from which springs forth the issues in your life, that's your heart. And, and that's like, you know, the place in the, in the small of your back or the, the middle of your back that you can't reach when it's itching. Amen? There's that place inside of you that you can't reach. Um, and you can never get to it unless you allow the Lord to help you um, reach those things. Amen. So giving God the place He deserves in your life is among the most important things you can ever learn and grow in. And that was, I never really I felt like captured what I was trying to get to last Sunday evening in the, in the Sunday evening service. But if I could just simplify it, um, giving Him the place He deserves in our lives is something we're learning to do. Um, certainly when we called upon Him to receive salvation, we gave Him a place in our lives that, in, that allowed Him or enabled Him you know, to, to, to give that gift of salvation to us. And thank God for whatever commitment we made to Him um, at that point. But as we grow and as we understand more about who He is and who we are in Him, it requires an ongoing response to Him. It, it, so I wish I could just tell you that we could all stand right now and pray some really quick prayer uh, that would you know, somehow give Him the place that He deserves in our lives and then move on. But if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you know that this is something that is ongoing in our lives. And, and the more place we give Him, the more um, of our lives that we open up to Him, the more He invades, the more He feels with His love, His wisdom, and His power. Amen? So I tell you that not to discourage you or, or condemn you or make you feel guilty or ashamed in any way. I tell you that to give you hope this morning that if there's things that you've struggled with for many years in your life, and, and the devil's even trying to tell you that it's just always going to be that way. He is a liar. The devil is a liar. Amen. That we do uh, have hope because we are growing up into Jesus in all things. And certainly there are things that we've all outgrown. We've grown out of uh, some of those silly, petty things of the flesh. And we're not done growing yet. Amen? Praise God. All right. John chapter 2, and let's begin at verse number 23. John chapter 2 and verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. And of course, the he here is speaking of Jesus. But Jesus did not commit Himself to them because He knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. I want to read this, uh, those three verses to you one more time. Again, now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in His name when they saw the signs which He did. But Jesus did not commit Himself to them because He knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. Let me give you verse 24 because that's kind of the key verse we're going to look at this morning out of the Passion Translation. It said, But Jesus did not yet entrust Himself to them because He knew how fickle human hearts can be. Now, this passage um, has always been one, I say always, for a long time has been one that has intrigued me. It's, it's interested me. And for those of you who have uh, been a part of the discipleship uh, classes here, 
at heritage, you know that this is one of the first verses that we look at when we uh, define discipleship. Because one of the definitions of discipleship is, is that discipleship involves an uncommon commitment. Amen. Um, discipleship, it, it, ooh, don't get me started talking about that. That's like opening a floodgate, right? But, but if, if we're going to be disciples of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's going to require a commitment to Him on, on our part, on our behalf. Now, this is all taking place very early in Jesus' earthly ministry. We know that He was born of a virgin, but He did not begin His earthly ministry until He turned 30 years old. And it was at 30 because He was born under the law. It's kind of like in the United States of America, you've got to be a certain age to be president. Well, born under the law meant that He could not begin a public ministry until He turned 30 years old, until He had reached that age, at least, of maturity. And we see that it was at that point that he was baptized by John the Baptist and also where the Holy Spirit descended upon him and remained. We also see that he was led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And then he returned, the Bible says, from that in the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that the first miracle he performed on this earth as a man was at a wedding feast in Cana where he turned 162 gallons of, of water into 162 gallons of wine. And, and again, what an odd beginning of miracles. Um, and, and so all these people who say Jesus did miracles when he was a kid and all this other stuff, it's just simply incorrect if you believe the Bible. And that, of course, is what we believe around here. So he begins his earthly ministry at 30 years of age. And it's basically going to span... Um, a three-year a, a three window before he is um, falsely accused, crucified, uh, buried, raised from the dead, and then returns back to his father's right hand. Now, when I say his earthly ministry, obviously he's the head, we're the body, and he's continuing to minister in the earth through his body. But I'm talking about while Jesus was among us as a human being. Now, we know that the first miracle was in Cana, now we see that he had traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, which was one of the high holy days. It, it, was, it was a huge celebration. Uh, lots of people would have crowded the city. And that Jesus did miracles there. If you research this, you'll find that we really have no specific record of what miracles he did there but we do know, according to the Scriptures, that He did miracles there. Now, if they're like miracles He did other places, He was healing people and casting out devils, and, and, and even we see like where miracles involving food, multiplication of food, miracles involving supernatural catches of, of, of fish and bursting fishermen's nets and, 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 and those sorts of things, okay? Um, so exactly what miracles, we don't know, but we do know that they were miracles, and that people witnessed the miracles, and the Bible says that they believed in His name. Now, this is as good a place as any for me to interject here. Um, if, you, if you break this passage down, there are those who would draw a line between um, believing in Jesus, believing in the name of Jesus, and then what the Bible says, believing on Jesus. 
Amen. I, listen, I don't know everything. I'm still learning. And if, and, and if any man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But as far as my diligent efforts to really connect with this passage, the Holy Spirit really didn't breathe on any of that for me. You know, there was nothing really jumped, came alive in my spirit where that's concerned. It's, it's kind of like when people talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, and, and, and there are those who say there's all these vast differences be, between those. And, and, and really, if you, if you study it out completely in Scripture in all four of the Gospels, it's, it's just a, a different way of saying the same thing. Amen. I heard one guy say that you can believe in an airplane, but it's not the same as believing on the airplane and getting on the plane. Amen. Again, interesting and, and a nice take on it, but just because they believed in his name and not on his name, I, I don't think that one letter and that one word um, is really what's being emphasized here. Now, when it says that they believed in his name and then Jesus did not commit himself to them, it's one of those places in scriptures where we find a play on of words. Like Petros Petra, um, when he's referring to Peter, it's, it's the same word but just a slight variation in, in the way the, the, the word is spoken that carries with it um, a, a slight variation of meaning. So, in other words, it's the same word when it says that they believed in His name, but Jesus did not commit Himself to them. It, it literally means that He did not put confidence in their belief in Him. Or, let me say another way, they committed themselves to Him, but He did not reciprocate with a, with a commitment back to them. Now, the reason I said this passage has interested me, intrigued me, is because that, on the surface, doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. On the surface, that, you know, you think, wait a second, man, here's some folks that have opened the door for you, Jesus, and you passed. You passed on the door, right? Um, one one uh, scholar translated it this way, and Vincent, a lot of different ones quote him, that Jesus had no faith in their faith in Him. He had no confidence in their confidence in Him. Okay? So clearly, this is what's being emphasized here. This is what's being spoken of here. Now, I want to I stay with some things specific to this one passage. Um, so I hopefully we'll get there either later this morning or, or tonight. But we see another similar uh, situation in John the 8th chapter. Now we're not going to turn there right now, but similar in the sense that again, another group of people, this time a group of prominent Jews um, who had witnessed Jesus say some things and do some things um, in the synagogue, in the temple rather, that, that really uh, drew them to Him. And the Bible says that they believed on Him. And Jesus' response to them was, if you continue in My Word, you will be My disciples indeed, for real, right? Not just pretend, not just kicking tires, not just a fan, not just somebody that I impressed, okay? If you continue in My Word, could I, give it, could I say it to you another way? He's actually going to say it 
uh, five verses later, he's going to say, if you'll give my word place in your heart, if you'll give my word place in your heart, you'll be my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And of course, we understand that their response to that was, who do you think you are, Jesus? So again, another group of people, I think, as, as I've often told you, if you want to interpret Scripture, let the Bible interpret itself. And so here we have a group of people who believed in His name, who, 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 who opened a door to Him, but He did not commit Himself to them. He moved on. And the Bible says He moved on because He knew their hearts. He knew what was in them. Amen. So in John the 8th chapter, we see again a similar situation where people believed in Him. And, and Jesus begins to ask them questions that reveals what was in their heart as well. And what it simply boils down to is this. These people were not willing to give Him the place in their hearts, in their lives, in their, in their calendars, in their schedules that He deserves. Amen. Now, are you still with me this morning? Alright, so I like the way uh, the Passion Translation translates this idea, he did not commit himself to them. And if you go to the original language, you see that one of the prominent words that define this Greek word is the word entrust. Not just trust, but entrust. The Weiss translation has it, but Jesus himself was not entrusting himself to them. And so what it boils down to is he did not have any confidence in them. Now, I believe that he wanted to have confidence in them. I believe that he considered entrusting himself to them, but chose not to, or else we wouldn't have this passage. In other words, if it was never an option, if it was never a consideration, if it was never anything that Jesus um, you know, considered doing, then we would not have recorded in Scripture the, the conscious, deliberate decision that He made not to and why He chose not to. Amen. Are you seeing this this morning? Now, we also have this, as is the case with all Scripture, this was recorded for whose benefit? For our benefit. This was recorded so that we can understand some things that we need to understand when it comes to our own walk with and fellowship and, and, and uh, ongoing growth in uh, our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, I'm going to put this up on the screen because I really want the Holy Spirit to speak to you through this statement right here. Jesus is not just looking for people who will trust Him, but also for people He can trust. That's something else that the Holy Spirit, I believe, really was bringing out for us this morning from this passage. Remember, Jesus is just getting this ball rolling, so to speak. This is the beginning uh, stages of His earthly ministry. 
Let me say it another way. Jesus is putting a team together. And this is a very important team. Jesus never came here uh, to do what He uh, was here to do uh, alone. It was always uh, meant for, for there to be other people, not just um, learning from Him, but also walking alongside Him, walking together with Him, becoming co-laborers. Remember, Jesus looked at the multitudes who were suffering and struggling and needed help and needed a shepherd and needed somebody to teach them and needed somebody to, to lay hands on them and, and minister to them and somebody to love them. And He looks at the, at the, at the ones that He's already, uh, the team He's already assembled, and He says, I need you to begin to pray for more laborers because the harvest is vast. But the laborers, the people to help go and minister to these people are relatively few. Amen. So Jesus was never, never meant to be, never looked to be a lone ranger. Never meant to come and, and, and tell everybody to sit down and watch. But instead we see that He's putting a team together that, that, that He's not just going to train, but he, He's going to entrust Himself to and then send them forth with that which He entrusted to them to go and minister and represent um, God the Father uh, to uh, other people in need. Amen. So again, if we only look at it from the perspective of Jesus is just looking for people to trust Him, to entrust themselves to Him, then we miss the the uh, correlation between our trust in Him and His ability to trust or entrust Himself to us. So let's just break this down a little more. Jesus was and continues this morning to search for people He can confide in. People He can depend on. He is looking for men and women that He can count on to be there with Him and be there for Him. He's looking for people who are trustworthy, people who will follow through, people who will make fellowship with Him a priority in their life, people who will simply give Him the place He deserves in their lives. So, again... The Bible says Jesus did not commit Himself, entrust Himself to these people, not because He didn't like the way they dressed, not because they didn't have enough money, not because they didn't go to the finer biblical uh, you know, uh, indoctrination schools or, or what have you. No, the Bible says He didn't entrust Himself to them because He knew what was in them. He knew what was in their hearts. He knew what was in their hearts. How many of you know this morning, He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what's in your heart. Now that doesn't mean that with His help, you know, uh, what's in our heart can't change. It can. But He knows what's in your heart this morning. That's why the Bible says it's ridiculous for us to try... That's the New Winslow International Translation. I put that part in there. It's ridiculous for us to try and hide it from Him. 
So again, he's assembling a team. So he's looking for people, not just who will commit to him, but people that he can commit himself to, to entrust himself to. Is this important? Is this something we should be interested in? Is this, is this something we should, we should concern ourselves with? I believe that it absolutely is. Let me ask you another question this morning. What can He entrust you with? What can He confide in you? What can He count on you for and count on me for this morning? Let me give you um, a couple of examples, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, where we see things were committed or entrusted to certain people, listen to me now, while those same things were not committed to, not entrusted to other people. Let me come down here with you for a minute, all right? I've been listening to a sermon series by Brother Keith Moore, and by the way, it's speaking of websites, his is morelife.org, uh, I believe. If you just search Keith Moore, it'll pull it up. And it's a sermon series on the subject of rewards. Rewards. And he said the Lord spoke to him and he said, and I'll paraphrase, I don't think the exact quote, that while your righteousness is not based upon your works, your rewards are. Your righteousness, your standing, your right standing with God is not based upon your works. It's based upon a gift that we've been given. And I believe righteousness by faith remains one of the most important messages that could ever be preached in the body of Christ today because there are still so many people who are struggling with, with laboring under this false impression that their acceptance, their, their being loved by God, their being in right standing with God is somehow based upon their ability to, to live up to the Old Testament, their ability to live up to the law. And that's just simply not how it is. But if we're not careful, we will swing so far that we lose sight of that our rewards, both in this life and in the life to come, are based upon what we do and the attitude with which we do it. Amen. Amen. For instance, the Bible says of your works that your works will follow you all the days of your life and into the life that is to come. So what we do, it matters. What we do is important. Now, some people, as, as Matthew expressed you know, uh, in, during praise and worship, some people have this attitude, well, I don't care about any of that, Pastor Mark, just as long as I get in. <laughs> you have no idea. You're embarrassing yourself. You have no idea how silly you're sounding and how foolish uh, that, that attitude and, and, and that, that kind of uh, talk is. Amen. A, 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 a thousand years from now, uh, it will matter. Are you hearing me? A thousand years from now, it, it's, it'll, it'll, it'll be important. Amen. And so this should matter to us now. This should be important to us now. But one of the things that Brother Keith Moore is talking about in this, in this um, series is that 
not everyone is going to be rewarded the same. Not everyone is... is see, we have this idea, you know, and, it, and it's, 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 a, it's like taking socialism and applying it to the kingdom. You know, that everybody at the end is going to, you know, get an equal share, an equal reward. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible does not teach that. And so some then would say, well, that's not fair, Pastor Mark. But the opposite is actually true. Someone who was born again and, and, and served God and sacrificed and spent time in the Word and attended church and attended classes and, 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 and really put effort into fellowshipping with God and fellowshipping with God's people and made that a priority in their life and, and paid their tithes and, 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 and sowed their financial seed and, and worked to see the kingdom grow and develop ministries and, and poured themselves into the lives of other people. Amen? And then you take somebody that's born again and sleeps in on Sundays, never has time for God, never gives God the place He deserves in their life. Listen, I'm not trying to make you angry. The Bible clearly teaches that would be, as we said last Sunday night, someone that Jesus identified as the least in the kingdom. This is someone who's been born again, but is still breaking commandments and teaching other people to do them. Teaching other people to break them. Right? Least in the kingdom because this is someone who's not just been born of a woman, but who's been born of the Spirit. Right? So how fair would it be for God to reward person A equally with person B? See, that would not be fair. God is a just God. Now, obviously, I've spent a lot of time listening to this past several days meditating on this. So, you know, you kind of squeeze a ketchup bottle and ketchup comes out. This is in me right now, so it's coming out of me. But listen, just, there's a connection here. There's a reason why I'm going here. We clearly see in Scripture that there were people that, that Jesus entrusted Himself to, and there were people that He did not entrust Himself to. You say, well, wait a second, that, that's not fair. Well, I'm not saying that He didn't love them. I'm not saying that these people weren't born again if they called upon Him to be saved. I'm not saying any of that. But what we see is that there were certain people because of the place they gave Jesus in their lives, He was able to entrust things to them that He was not able to trust other people with. He was able to give them things that He was not able to give to other people. He was able to do. I'm not saying willing, I'm saying able. He went to His own hometown, they refused to give Him the place He deserves, and the Bible says He was not able to do any mighty work among them. Not wouldn't, couldn't. Again, because of the place that we give Him in our lives. So many people in the body of Christ are wanting Jesus to do things in their lives, in their families, in their finances that they have not given Him place to do. You ever said or wanted to say to somebody, mind your own business? Right? All of a sudden, they're trying to be the boss of you and they're not the boss of you. They're trying to tell you how you ought to run your family or do this or manage this or whatever. And, and, and maybe what they're telling you is, is good, wise advice and counsel. Maybe it's not. But that whole mind your own business that comes up in your, in your heart and mind, right? What are you saying? You don't, you, I haven't given you place to tell me how to raise my children. I haven't given you place in my life to tell me how to manage my money. Who do you think you are telling me I need to lose some weight? I haven't, you don't have that place in my life to tell me that. Are you see what I'm saying, right? 
So if you can understand that concept, it's, it's like we're wanting Jesus to do things in our lives, but we haven't made it His business because we haven't given Him place over it. Just trying to help you here. All right, so let me give you um, a couple of examples. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, it says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. All right, so what's going on here is God instructed them to build a, a tabernacle. This is when they came out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. And God instructed them to build a tabernacle. This would be the place where He would come and visit with them. And so we see that there would be times when, when God's uh, Shekinah glory, the, the, the presence of God would come and, and fill that tabernacle. Now we see three levels of response to that. Initially, the people were afraid, then they were amazed, and then, you know, it was like they would go to the window of their tent and look down the street. Yep, hey, God's back down there again, honey. Really? I bet Moses is heading back down there. <laughs> Loser, got nothing better to do than go to church. <laughs> you know, so, so they, you know, they watch Moses go down there, right? While they stayed at home, you know, watching reruns or whatever, you know. Um, doing their own thing. And the Bible says that Moses would go in there and, and in that place, God would speak to him face to face as a friend and then he would leave the tabernacle and go back. But Joshua, he just laid in there the whole time. He never left. Are you seeing the, the difference here? Okay. Now, let's jump from here to Psalm 103 verse 7. Speaking of God, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. One thing I left out of, one thing I left out of in Exodus, when God first brought them out, if you remember, he came and sat down on top of the mountain, and he wanted to have fellowship. He wanted to speak directly, not just to Moses. He wanted to speak directly to all of his people. But they became frightened of God. They ran and hid from God. And, and basically, this is what they said to Moses. Moses, look, tell him not to talk to us like that anymore. If there's something that he wants to tell us, tell him to tell you and then you tell us. So notice that Father invited all of them to have with Him what Moses had with Him. For Him to be able to speak directly to them. Face to face, as a man speaks to a friend. He was offering friendship with Himself to them, but we see that, that relatively few people took uh, Father God up on the offer. Joshua being another exception. Amen? Now, Think it not strange then when we come to Psalm 103 that God made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the children of Israel. Do you see a connection? Do you see a connection between 
what he's saying here in, in Psalm 103 and what we saw in John 2. Remember, these people saw signs. They saw miracles. They witnessed, experienced miracles from the hand of Jesus that impressed them, that amazed them, that, that interested them, that, that drew them to Him. Okay? But listen to me, this is very, very important. Being impressed by Jesus is not the same as being willing to give Him the place in your heart He deserves. We cannot confuse the two. Because I believe that's what's happening here in John 2. And this is why Jesus did not commit Himself to them. I believe He did not commit Himself to them because He could not commit Himself to them. Alright, let me, let me finish this part. So, He made known His ways to Moses. In other words, He explained things to Moses. He taught things to Moses while the children of Israel were a few layers removed from that. And they just simply saw what God did. They witnessed the miracles, but the God behind the miracles remained distant to them because of their choice, not God's. Because of their level of commitment, not God's level of commitment. Because of the place that they gave God in their hearts, God was only able to show them His actions, but because He was able to fellowship with Moses face to face as a friend, he was able to entrust into Moses' care his ways. Alright? One more from the New Testament. John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus speaking to his disciples, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. Did Jesus make all things that He heard from His Father, did He make all things He heard from His Father known to everybody? No. He made some of the things that He heard from His Father available to everybody, but when it came to the disciples, He entrusted into their care things that He was not able to entrust into the care of others. All right? So again, was Jesus able to tell things to His disciples that He was not able to tell others because of their commitment to Him? And the answer is yes. He was able to tell them things, teach them things, reveal things to them that He was not able to reveal to other people because of the place they gave Him in their hearts. Sweet Jesus. Now, it almost, it almost would take two more sermons to really make this point. But let me just remind you, let me just remind you of the value of God revealing things to you that has previously been hidden from you. Do you understand what I mean? Those of you in the room this morning, if you've ever experienced like something in your life where all of a sudden God reveals something to you that, that, that has been hidden from you, and, and now you saw what you were previously blinded to, and, and, and you could see it clearly, 
And the path before you became illuminated and, and you went from not being able to see it to not being able to see it any other way than God's way because he supernaturally opened your eyes to something that you couldn't see before and the difference that that made in your life, the difference that that made in whatever situation that that revelation applied to in your life. Can somebody say amen if you understand what I'm saying? And as we look at this and we're like, oh, okay, well, whatever, I ain't got time to hear what he's got to say anyway. Listen, you don't understand. This is where the change happens. This is where the breakthroughs happen. This is where the wealth is revealed. This is where the wisdom is revealed. This is where the healing flows. This is where the power and authority flows in what he's able to reveal to you. Was he able to tell things to his disciples? He was not able to tell others because of their commitment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Singers and musicians, if you would please come. Praise God. As they're coming, in John the 6th chapter, Jesus performs an amazing miracle. He then preaches. He fed thousands and thousands of people the little boy's lunch. Then he he teaches a sermon, teaches a, a lesson, a message, gives a message that has to do with eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And we see that many, many people who previously, watch me now, I'm going I'm to do the dittos if you're listening audio, not video, okay? Many, many people who believed in his name the Bible says on that day they turned their backs to him and they followed him no more. They were saying things like, this guy's a nut, this is hard saying, who can understand it? He's just, we should have listened to everybody that told us this was, you know, just a fad and all this other stuff. So people left Jesus that day by the thousands. Later that evening he's sitting with his disciples and he says to them, are you going to leave me also? And Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of life. And what's more, we've all come to believe that you are the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised one from heaven. Now, watch this very carefully. Those men who remained by Jesus' side did not understand the sermon he preached that day either. Had no idea what he was talking about. Had no idea what he meant by that. And if you keep reading, you'll see they asked Jesus to explain it because they didn't know. But notice that they're not going anywhere either. Because although they didn't understand what he was saying, they knew that there was nowhere else they could find or hear what he had, what he was giving to them. Nowhere else they could receive what he had to give. So what did they do? They gave him a place in their lives that said, even if I don't understand what you're saying, it's right. Even if it doesn't make sense to me, I'm going to stay with it until it does. Even if I don't know what to do with this right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep leaning into it until you help me figure it out or until we move on to something else. Do you see the difference? 
Their commitment was one that said, even if what you say doesn't make sense, I know that it's right, and you know more than I do. You have more wisdom than I have. You're bringing us things from heaven that can't be found on earth. And so we're putting our confidence, and let me say it another way, we're entrusting our futures and ourselves to you. Those were people Jesus could put some confidence in, could confide in, and could reveal some things to. Amen? Are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? Does this apply to us today? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, as we stand before you this morning, we want to first of all say thank you for your love. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for always believing the best about us. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for always being there for us. Thank you, Father, for your eternal commitment to us. But Father, what we're seeing now in, in your word is that our commitment in response to yours to us is very important. Because Father, our level of commitment to you has so much to do with what you're able to entrust into our care. And so Father, I thank you that you're showing us and teaching us. We're learning, Father, how to give you the place in our lives that, that, that you deserve. Father, we're learning how uh, to grow up into the things that, that are already ours. But yet, Father, we're, we're still coming short of. Um, we're still living like slaves, even though we're with Jesus in heavenly places far above all powers and principalities and might and dominion. So, Father, we ask you today to help us, to help us, Father, to lead us and to reveal to us the, the, the wisdom and the truth, Father, that, that, that you would help us, Lord. Um, if, even if it's just a little bit more this morning, Father, that, that we would just a little bit more give you the place that you deserve in our lives, Father. Lord, our presence in this room is testimony, Lord, that, that, that you have some bearing, some importance, Lord, that, that you mean something to us. Lord, we're not just here because we didn't have anything else to do. We're here, Father, because, Lord, of what you have for us and what you have prepared for us. And so, Father, we give our hearts to it. We give our hearts to you. Father, you know us. Search us. Father, if there's any wrong way or wrong thinking in us, bring it to the surface and help us deal with it, Father, by your word and by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, this morning for the life and peace that we have in your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want us to sing together this morning before we're dismissed.